From KLIN Radio and the Lincoln Independent Business Association, this is the Lincoln Business Beat, a weekly summary of news affecting area business and a review of interesting topics and issues. Along with LIBA President and CEO Bud Seinhorst, I'm Mark Vail. Glad to have you joining us. Lincoln Business Beat is made possible by the 1890 Initiative. Visit 1890nebraska.com, where 100% of your donation goes directly to Husker student-athletes. <laughs> boy, Bud, what a week. Oh, my gosh. I, we thought we hit a, a heck of a week last week with what was happening in Congress, which yeah. is just... It just continues to become a bigger circus, and then um, the horrible things happen in Israel. Yeah, I, I, the world uh, stage is getting really weird right now. Uh, it's beyond weird. It's uh, it sad doesn't begin to uh, describe it. Uh, I happen to spend quite a bit of time watching some of the coverage uh, here as we were just before we we're recording this, and such horrific tales coming out of the Gaza Strip and out of southern Israel. The barbarity and uh, just total lack of respect for human life is just beyond the pale. It, it's nasty, and it just it's hard to watch, yet just compelled to watch to understand really what's going on over there. So, um, you know, and then we come back home and our Congress can't get their things together and so i i just want to give a plug to that special edition of lincoln business beat we did with congressman flood last week yeah that that was very timely it was very timely and he's always so gracious of his time but i think it kind of gives a little perspective of what's going on in washington and you know we saw more of that this week with uh the republican caucus trying to pick a candidate for speaker um it was a very close vote uh, with uh, Steve Scalise coming out on top. Now we'll see what happens uh, when they take it to the floor. I don't know. As we're recording this, it's gonna. There's gonna be a. They're gonna come to the floor at some point in the near future. Um, I don't know that they're gonna be able to get through their uh, process very quickly. I thought it was a long process in January. This might be the hold my beer moment of this Congress. It might be, but given the the world situation, I hope they put that be, uh, aside, get a speaker in there, and get on with the business of the people. Absolutely. I mean that, and that's the other thing that I've just been sitting here in amazement is we got to get this figured out. I mean, you know, let's put our egos aside and let's get to damn work and let's do something um, because this is a big deal going on over in Israel. While we were away, the mayor, uh, this is the first one, I think, uh, in about four years that I have not been in attendance for the mayor's uh, State of the City address, but she uh, came up with what I guess they're referring to as, what, 13 pillars? Yeah, um, she delivered the State of the City address earlier this week. Um, I watched it. Uh, I watched the live stream. Uh, Carter from our office attended it in person. And as I look at these pillars... And I think about what's important to the business community. I just, I have to say, in my humble opinion, there is a huge disconnect between what this administration thinks is important and what's important to the business community. So I thought we'd just run through the pillars. Um, Grow LPD capacity to respond to mental health calls. Use substance abuse prevention project. End chronic homelessness. Improve health and well-being of our older residents to become an AARP age-friendly community, invest $98 million in street and infrastructure or in street infrastructure over the next two fiscal years, work on the Water 2.0 project, 
a $23.6 million federal grant for their multimodal transit center, construct a biogas facility to turn methane gas into renewable energy, create... Uh, creating and rehabilitating 2,000 affordable housing units over four years, use some of their ARPA funds to get 40 people trained on commercial driver's licenses, streetscape improvements along that downtown corridor, build out the downtown music district, and build a destination park downtown. I understand they're trying to address some quality of life issues here. Um, The street... Streets should be number one and probably two or three times what they're doing. But I look at these plans and I look at these pillars and I say, if I'm an employer who's having workforce issues, if I'm an employer that's trying to get my, grow my business, if I'm an employer uh, trying to build a new business, go out on my own, how do these stack up to help me in that business? And I, I just, I'm, I'm having a hard time seeing it. The one that uh, sticks out here is the um, affordable housing. Uh, one of the pillars was to get 2,000 affordable housing units over four years to, to create them. But uh, another re- release that I saw last week, they also want to create 3,000 rental units in that same period of time. Uh, given the, the regulations that they put in place uh, that uh, developers have to deal with, like with the flood zone thing that we've talked about, uh, this is uh, just seems to me to be above and beyond the pale. Yeah, it's very interesting because I, I just I, I hope the city has to encounter all of these uh, red tape measures that all of our members have to go through on a daily basis as they try to do this. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, what they're going to do is they're going to throw money at the problem and try to have somebody else solve it while they're being a part of the problem with their permitting process. So it's. it's disappointing. I thought there was an opportunity here to come together and talk about things like the importance of public safety, the importance of uh, what they're going to do to increase the number of officers on the streets, uh, because that has to be addressed at some point, infrastructure and roads, and what are we going to do from an economic development investment and infrastructure to help have that growth mindset that we've talked about here on the Lincoln Business Beat umpteen times. Well, I know uh, uh, Acting Chief Morrow has uh, come out in the last few days talking about recruitment efforts and diversity in the department, and uh, I believe she's the guest on the upcoming uh, LEBA luncheon, so it'll be interesting to uh, have a question and answer session with Acting Chief Morrow. Absolutely. I'm excited that Chief is coming down. Um, you know, she's going to be there. She'll be. An- she's willing to answer questions. She's going to p- allow plenty of time for that. Uh, so I think it's a good time for people to come and get signed up. And even if you're not going to eat lunch, you can come and watch it. Or you can join it on the live stream, as we always do. We always uh, put that on Facebook Live so that people can watch that. And we even post it on our page so that later on, if you weren't able to see it, you're able to to go back and watch. There's one other thing in this pillar that, that confuses me. Uh, I've had a commercial driver's license for oh, almost uh, 50 years. And... Using ARPA funds for 40 people to get commercial driver's licenses, um, that doesn't seem to me to be uh, something the city uh, would be all that, unless they're adding uh, for employees, if they can't hire employees. I mean, the Lincoln Public Schools helps people get their commercial driver's license and their school bus um, um, authorization. 
I, I know of several trucking companies that will help people get their CDL as part of their uh, recruitment and employment. It was a little vague, I thought. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it means they need 40 people at the city with CDLs to be able to drive the snow plows and trucks and yeah. graders and all that or, or what it was. There wasn't a lot of specificity there, so hard to tell. I, I don't know. This is the first time I've actually seen the full list, and I'm still kind of scratching my head, I guess. Huh. Should have listened to the speech. Uh, well, I will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, we've got some upcoming events. We mentioned the Liba Luncheon. That's Tuesday, October 17th. Yeah, and then um, we're we're going hard at it. Uh, Tuesday the 24th, we have our Coffee and Contacts at Revolution Wraps up at about 18th and Cornhusker. That runs from 7.30 to 9 a.m. And then on October 26th, we're having a ribbon cutting at the new Ascend Aesthetics uh, facility down at about 1600 Normandy Court, around that uh, 16th and Old Cheney area, kind of just right behind there. Uh, they're doing, they're opening another clinic down there and they've, they're going to be offering some additional services down there. And then on Friday, November 17th, we have a special event and we've talked about this a few different times, I think, but we do these murder mysteries with James Arthur Vineyards and Jim Ballard, a good friend of Leba and the Lincoln business beat. Um, he writes all of the mysteries. And it's just amazing to go to those because Jim writes a new one every time. There's always a different twist. There's always a different culprit. Um, there's always a different victim. But it's just so creative, and it's a lot of fun. Um, so that's on November 17th, and we just have four tickets left to that event. Wow. So if people want tickets, they need to get those bought right away. They can call the office, 402-466-3419, or they can email me, bud at liba.org. That's bud at liba.org. And one more uh, Liba lunch that I do want to mention, because in December, a special guest uh, we've, you have confirmed. Governor Jim Pillen. Well, actually, I have November and December confirmed, which is kind of nice to be out ahead of it. Uh, November, we're going to have Attorney General Mike Hilgers. A lot of things going on in his office his first year. And then Governor Pillen, to kind of reflect on in December, uh, he'll be there to kind of reflect on that first year and what he sees for the upcoming session, which uh, should be exciting to get him there. And then after the first of the year, we'll, of course, invite the state senators over to join us for a lunch. It's a full calendar. You can see that calendar at liba.org. That's L-I-B-A for Lincoln Independent Business Association dot O-R-G. And our deep dive coming up in just a moment. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, we've got our uh, Jerry Pigsley from Woods Aiken, who's also legal counsel for Leba. There's some interesting, cra- well, I'll call them crazy because it's my own opinion, uh, things going on at the Department of Labor when it comes to uh, overtime pay and salaried workers and all of that kind of thing. So I, I thought it'd be good to have Jerry in. I know you've interviewed him, Mark, on KLIN. We, he, did, we did a series of reports on this, but we couldn't, because of the time constraints, we can't go as deep as we're going to go on this Yeah, one. so we're going we're gonna to tie Jerry to a chair and uh, talk to him for a while. Uh, but I just I appreciate Jerry's knowledge of labor law, and I think this is important for our business owners to be aware of. Absolutely. Husker fans, you've probably heard about NIL, that's name, image, and likeness, and now you can have an immediate impact on the success of the program. The 1890 Initiative is Nebraska's premier NIL company, and with your help, we can maximize our student-athletes' opportunities with NIL and prepare them for life after college. Nebraska's always been a leader in college athletics. Let's do the same with NIL. 
To learn more, visit 1890nebraska.com, where 100% of your donation goes directly to Husker student-athletes. That's 1890nebraska.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Back in the Lincoln Business Beat, I are welcoming in our guest, Jerry Pigsley. He's uh, an attorney with Woods Aiken, but specializes in employment law. I think that's the correct terminology. That's great. That's it. Welcome to the Lincoln Business Beat. Thank you. Well, Jerry, thanks for being on. Um, there's something going on at the U.S. Department of Labor um, where they're proposing a massive increase in uh, kind of this overtime exemption with salaried employees. I don't, I, I'm not a lawyer, but I, ha- I know a lot of good ones. And so I'm always glad to be able to, to get Jerry's input. But I will give Jerry's disclaimer that he always gives. Uh, he is not here intended to provide legal advice to our listeners. He's here to alert our listeners to new and complex legal issues that they might want to look into uh, with their uh, with their attorneys. And if you need an attorney and you want to talk more, Jerry's down at Woods Aiken here in Lincoln, down on uh, 301 South 13th Street. So I just want to give that disclaimer first. Um, you know, you got to keep the lawyers happy, right, Mark? <laughs> Absolutely, because when you need them, you really need them. Amen let's, to that. Let, let, let's start with just a little overview of what is called an exempt employee. What classifies an employee as exempt? Well, Mark, uh, there are really the three major exemptions that we see in the overtime requirement, and they're the executive, administrator, and professional. And... Uh, uh, most employees that are considered exempt from overtime will fall in that one of those exemptions. The executive is someone that uh, supervises two or more full-time employees. Uh, the administrative is one that uh, serves in an um, advisory uh, staff role um, involved in policy making can be that one-person department head. And then the professional is one that has an advanced degree, a bachelor's or um, advanced degree that they're using that degree like doctors, lawyers, nurses, teachers. So the the administrative part, that would be like a, a the president of the company, maybe the vice president of the company, and a general manager if you have that type of structure? Well, it, yeah. In fact, the, the president and those folks would probably fit under the executive exemption. The administrative exemption would be that uh, uh, executive's administrative assistant, or it could be the HR 
director or a business manager. Business but, manager that doesn't supervise the two or more full time employees, yeah. but has a lot of okay. uh, discretion. And they're they're more in a serving the business, not producing the widgets. Gotcha. And so that those are the for to be exempt, you gotta you gotta meet those duties requirement. the The other two requirements is that you have to be uh, paid on a salary basis. What that means is that you are in fact receiving a uh, set amount, uh, irregardless of the number of hours you work during the week. Now, there can be deductions for absences of a day or more, but it means that you're getting a set amount every pay period. And then the last requirement is that you meet a salary threshold, and that's what the Department of Labor is now proposing to increase by approximately 55%. And that's our deep dive today. Yeah. Um, and so get out your pencils and paper, friends. It's going to be time to take some copious notes uh, on our conversation with Jerry. So first of all, so the Department of Labor is proposing this as a regulation. Is that is that right. accurate? Right. The Department of Labor uh, has the power under the Fair Labor Standards Act, the federal law that's enacted by Congress and signed off by the president, to issue regulations that govern who is exempt. And so what they're doing is they're, they provided a notice to employers saying, we're going to change the salary threshold, and you've got 60 days to submit comments to us. We'll look at the comments. After we get the comments back, then we will issue a final rule, which will probably take effect probably around election time next year. Ironic. Um, and they say uh, everything in Washington isn't about politics. Uh, so let's just talk about that for a minute because that's a pretty substantial increase. You, I think you said about a 55% increase. Um, and, and so let's kind of dig into a little bit about the increase that they're proposing, and and then we'll get into kind of some other questions about that. But just give us an overview of what that increase pro- proposed increase looks like. The increase goes from a $684 a week um, threshold to uh, $1,059. And so if if you're now exempt, uh, you would have to be paid $685 a week, which is approximately over $35,500 a year. It's going to now go to over $55,000 a year in order for that individual to be considered exempt. And what the Department of Labor has done is they're looking at what uh, folks in the lowest paid census region in the country, and they're looking at setting that at a an amount that is, I believe it's, it's going to be um, 35 percentile. So they're looking at it has to it it is exceeding what thirty five percent of the lowest paid weekly earnings for full time non hourly workers in the lowest wage census region. Right now it's at a twentieth percentile, and so they're they're looking at making a significant jump in determining uh, what the salary threshold will be. Yeah. Now, what this threshold means is that if you make at that level or less, 
you get overtime if you work over 40 hours, right? Right, and that's, mean, the, that's, big, that's the big kicker here. Is so you've got a salaried employee that may be able to get overtime. And, and that's, that's what uh, employers all around the country will be looking at is because you'll have uh, someone that's not at that salary threshold now being required to be paid overtime, which is any hour after 40 hours worked in a week. So if they work 50 hours a week, uh, that's 10 hours of overtime. It's going to be one and a half times their hourly wage or the salary equivalent, they'll just divide by the number of hours worked. Okay, so I've got my handy-dandy calculator out here. And so if we're talking about $50,068 a year, yeah, right? Yeah, 55, 55, $55,068. $68. That means they're making about twenty six forty eight an hour. Yes. Now, you've got to pay them time and a half which means you're going to have to pay them $39.71 an hour. Per hour. And if they work an extra 10 hours a week, that's 300, four, let's call it 400 bucks a week. And if you do that half of the year, you're talking, you're talking some money here on a, on a small business. Right. And, and frankly, what the Department of Labor, when they issued these regulations, was uh, <laughs> their rationale was uh, they wanted to uh, – they considered restore and extend overtime protection to low-paid salary workers. Uh, they wanted to give workers who are not exempt um, valuable time back. <laughs> they wanted to prevent a future erosion of overtime protections and ensure greater predictability. So what, in order for them to do that is every three years under this regulation, they're going to bump this salary threshold based on what the 35th percentile is and then they uh, also are restoring this overtime protection for U.S. territories. Many of the U.S. territories weren't even at the the lower threshold. Now they'll not only be at the lower, they not only will be increased from the lower threshold, but they'll be at the higher threshold. Well, this is fascinating to me because you know, we're using one spot in the country to make a determination and we're then taking that and putting it across the whole country. And I just look at the, the cost of living in different places. And so if you make $55,068 in Lincoln, Nebraska, you're making a pretty decent living. That's good wages. But if you go to Los Angeles, California, and you make $55,068... Cost of living there is exponentially more. I mean, I think gas prices in California almost double what they are in Nebraska right now. And so you start looking at those different things and how that impacts our employees as business owners. And so, you know, all these things continue to go up. Well, if I have to now, if the grocery store now has to pay their people this higher, plus they're doing the overtime, my grocery prices are going up. And so it's, it's, to me, in my simplistic mind, it's like creating inflation. Yeah, there's no question that this is going to be inflationary because uh, obviously that business is going to pass on that cost. But, you know, the, the, the other critical part of this law is it applies to nonprofits. And so nonprofit organizations will need to make sure that they're also paying at the higher salary threshold in order to have their employees exempt from overtime. That amount of money for a lot of nonprofits um, isn't being paid uh, to them 
Um, and frankly, uh, nonprofits uh, are significant in many organizations uh, or st communities around the state. Well, they, they, they do so many things. Well, let's be honest. Liba's a nonprofit. Yes. And so it would affect Liba. It would affect Junior Achievement, a group we've talked about a lot on here. Now I start to think about, well, is this going to impact teachers? Right. I mean, so if you have a teacher and they're salaried and they get a salary to be a teacher and a coach, but they work 60 hours a week, are we going to have to start paying our teachers overtime? Yeah, they're... It, and now it, that goes back to the taxpayer. Like, there's this just big circle. We're 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 peeling back the whole onion here, Jerry, because just as we sit here and talk about it, there's more of these examples that I just have questions about. Well, it, it's interesting with teachers. Uh, for whatever reason, the teachers are not covered by the salary threshold. So I can't uh, believe the union allows that to happen. <laughs> well, that may be a change uh, when. Uh, during this comment period, when teachers are uh, find out that uh, they don't have to have their salary increased to this threshold and still be considered exempt, I think there's also uh, a law. The law of unintended consequences can bite some people. Uh, I've been involved in a, in a couple of LLCs where we've had some salaried employees, and I'm no longer involved with them. But we had a, a couple of salaried employees who would. Uh, by choice, work 50 hours one week, and then 30 the next week. They were able to do their uh, their change in their schedule, get all the work done. They were happier. It was made the workforce happier. Uh, we got a lot more accomplished. That would that had wouldn't be allowed, would? It? No. Uh, Department of Labor is very clear. You can't average hours over uh, weeks. So even each though it week, was the employee's uh, decision right, on their own, right? Each week stands on its own. Uh, in fact, um, uh, comp time, which many of us uh, know about, uh, where you you get a time and a half for every hour of overtime work, that only applies to public employees. It doesn't apply to private sector employees. So, so if, let's see, can we can I interrupt you for a second? I I'm Mark's example is a good example, and and it happens at our state capitol. There have during session there. Are, uh, LAs and AAs and different folks, they work a whole bunch of hours for two or three weeks. And then they have, they kind of have this flex time comp time kind of thing. And they, you know, it, it all balances out for them. But in Mark's example, I'd have to pay that employee 10 hours of overtime in week one, but I'm still paying them a dollar or a thousand fifty nine the next week if it, in this example in the right. way that they're proposing it or right. you just don't let that happen you say no you got to put in yeah. your 40 hours each week yeah one of the, one of the options that employers have or to hire more folks but we know how difficult that is um, because they're trying to keep overtime uh, under control you see that with uh, law enforcement uh, there is times when uh, and firefighters where they are working extra hours not because of their own doing, but because they're responding to emergencies. Well, and people are taking vacations and they need to fill because their staffing is low and, you know, somebody has an unexpected death in the family. I mean, there's there's a lot of situations here where that happens. The other piece of this, though, that, that I, I want to touch on is now we're going to have to track every employee's hours. And... I mean, as a small business owner, you know, I mean, and Mark's example is very good. We might work 
45 hours this week. It might work at 30 hours, 35 hours next week or, you know, different things like that. But now you've got employers that are dealing with job sites. And so now you have to figure out how am I going to track these hours? And that, whether you have five employees, 10 employees or 500, that's, that's an issue. That is a big issue. And, and frankly, it's one that causes a lot of um, heartache uh, because the law is, is that for these employees entitled to overtime, you have to keep track of their hours on a daily basis and on a weekly basis so you can determine the overtime hours when you get audited by the Department of Labor. The, the, the problem is, is that you have situations where um, the records aren't being maintained. Well, the, the, the law is, is that the employer has to uh, maintain the records and an employee could come in and say, well, I've worked 60 hours a week. Well, if the employer doesn't have any records to demonstrate that they didn't work 60, they're going to go off the employee's, um, you know, log, diary that they put together. So it really is uh, uh, becomes a, a nightmare. And that's why a lot of folks right now are looking at, okay, we need to get an idea of how many hours our employees are working that are we're currently paying on a salary basis. And then determine, okay, if we don't want to increase the uh, salary to this new threshold, but if we have to pay overtime, well, we might as well increase the salary because um, we're going to be paying overtime. So if you're close to the threshold, you're good. If you're not close to the threshold, you're going to need to look at paying hourly and uh, or paying on a salary basis, but you're going to be paying overtime. Well, and and that's what as you were saying that that was kind of you were you were, you let in and answered my new, my next question was, do they stay with salary or do they go to the hourly component of that? But now let's talk about okay, let's just say for for fun that Leva decides to make everybody a, an hourly employee, but we also provide benefits. So, how does that affect if you know somebody's working forty five fifty hours this week and we're like okay. This week you're going to work 25 or 30 hours. Is there, I mean, because sometimes in benefits and in employee handbooks, it's you must work X number of hours per week. And it's, I don't think it's an average. I think it's just, you have to be at least like, I think in, I don't remember our handbook, but like in some cases I know there are, you have to work at least 32 hours a week to be included in the benefits. So then all of a sudden if they drop to 25 do you kick them off the insurance and how does that work? And then what do you have to do to get them back on? Like I just see so many problems here. Yeah. It's, it's a real communication nightmare because frankly, folks that are salaried, I think they believe that they're at a higher threshold or standing in the employer business than someone who's paid hourly. And when you go hourly, um, you're right. You may not qualify for some benefits, and uh, so it is a real uh, negative, and it creates a lot of concern for um, employers maintaining their current uh, work capacity. And that's why it's important that if you have um, an interest in having the Department of Labor look this over and come back with a more reasonable amount, um, the comments are due November 7th. 
The Department of Labor just this week was asked to extend that period by November 7th, and they said, uh, no, we're not going to extend it. You can make the comments now, though. You don't, you don't have to wait till the 7th. No. Uh, in fact, I would, I would contact them as soon as you can. You can do that online, by the way. I went out and looked at that. Yes. They made it very easy for you to make comments. Um, and, and frankly, it's not easy for you to know what's going on. Right. Uh, (laughs) it's not a website that most of us even look at, but there's a lot of information on the department of labor's website It's www.dol.gov. Uh, but yeah, if you're having problems sleeping, just go to their website. (laughs) (laughs) What about, I, I mean, obviously hearing from people is, is important on these types of things. This is technically called a notice of proposed rulemaking. I deal with that with the FCC all the time, so they use the same terminology. But I've often found that it was really uh, beneficial to talk to elected officials. It, what, what's your take on that? Is there any benefit in doing that in the meantime? I, I strongly suggest you talk to your elected officials. I, I, I frankly think that when uh, the Department of Labor is contacted by an elected official, that'll get their attention more than if I were to send them an email. And, and frankly, um, the, this whole issue about what the Department of Labor has power to do in terms of setting this salary threshold could be removed by Congress by a simply passing a new law that says we set the salary threshold. It has such a major impact on our economy. In fact, I think what the Department of Labor has come up with is that they said that the impact of this on employers is in the billions of dollars uh, because it's going to impact money going from the employers to employees. Well, and I, I, I would just chime in there. I mean, the, the impact this has on a budget, and I'll speak again to the nonprofit because Leave is a nonprofit, and I know you work with some others, but as a nonprofit, you set a budget, and you're, it's, it's tight. You've been in all those meetings we have, and and it's a it's a very fine line, and to be able to predict overtime, I mean, is you know, and but with Leba, we have three events a month where our employees are there, and you know, some of those are from seven thirty to nine in the morning, some of them are from four thirty to six thirty at night, you know, and it just it it's crazy, but it impacts people's budgets too, I would think, because. Is there anything that would preclude me as an employer from going looking at the, you know, Monday morning I get in early and I look at the labor report from last week and I go, oh, all right, everybody's working 20 hours this week, too much overtime. I mean, can you do that? You have the right, as unless you have a collective bargaining agreement like uh, the school teachers, uh, to set hours, and uh, that very well may cause you to be unionized, but... Uh, uh, right, you have the right to set the hours simply because you don't have the money to pay for a 40-hour week staff. See, now we keep peeling back this onion, Mark. Well, I'm and gonna... Jerry just mentioned unions. Yeah. And so this could impact negotiations between a teacher's union and, well, teachers are exempt, so we, we'll get rid of them. But, you know, we just had a big to-do between the mayor and the pub public employee union um, where they were in an impasse and they they passed 
uh, the city council passed and said, this is what we're going to do, and the a union has decided not to go to the CIR. But, I mean, they could be looking at this and going, okay, everybody in our union who's not at this level needs to be paid at this level, but then... Well, if I'm already at fifty five thousand and everybody that was just at forty thousand gets to be fifty five, now do I become seventy thousand? Right. right. You know, I mean there's there there's just wow, I And there's oh. one more layer of this onion that I just gotta throw in here as long as we're peeling. <laughs> we got a blooming onion going yeah. on in here today, Mark. Remember that uh for uh, somebody that uh, has to pay overtime time and a half. It's not just a 50% increase in that salary. You've got all of your, your Social Security, your Medicare, uh, all of these additionals that are all added on. It's it's uh, an aggregate total. So it's not just one and a half. It's one point. And retirement. And retirement. I mean, you know, they anything do a that's match. Based, anything that's based on compensation, workers' comp, those those all go into it. So, all right. Yeah. If, if anyone has ever had to do a payroll, um, it's sure a lot easier just to pay a salary amount and, and take out the taxes than having to figure out, okay, how much overtime do we have to pay and, and then how is this going to impact their benefits? Um, it's, it's a opens a can of worms and it causes you to maybe expand the number of folks that you have doing this work. Or downsizing number of employees. Right. You know, I mean, and we don't want to think about that, but man, there's just goes to the automation issue, automation, robots. You could replace uh, an employee with a robot that is not <laughs> uh, salaried or hourly. Right. Uh, those are the those are the realities of the workplace. Until those robots unionize, right, Jerry? <laughs> right. Well, and and you can look at the auto workers now, and and you can. I've gone to the. Yeah, the Ford F-150 plant up in Michigan. And uh, I was amazed at how much uh, automation there was in building a Ford F-150. Uh, you know, they, they're coming off there in minutes, but most of that is done uh, by machine. And so it, it creates an issue. Wow. So I think as we as we kind of wrap up, this has been fascinating. What a discussion! Probably one of my outside of budgets. This might be one of my favorite discussions we've had in a while. Um, I'm sad to hear that. <laughs> I just want to see the spreadsheet that he does after this discussion. <laughs> I don't know if I can put one after this, but um, but I guess I, I want to reiterate something you said, Jerry, um, and and I'll call it trickle down effects, so to speak. But you, you said that it's good to talk to your elected officials because when the elected officials talk to the Department of Labor, it means a lot more. And it means a lot more when we, as the citizens, show up. Huh, ironic. I, 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 missed, I mixed that one in today, Mark. But it's important for us to reach out to our representatives in, in the House of Representatives and the Senate and just say, hey, this is this is not good. And... You know, reach out to them because, as I always tell our listeners, it means so much more when the business owner shows up to testify than it does when just Bud shows up as the guy from Leba. So um, I really encourage our people to to get out there, to reach out, to do that. Now, what about commission employees? Commission employees If are... you work straight commission, are you now required to get a salary? I mean... What happens is the commission employees, they need to make sure that they're paid at this 
salary threshold. Um, and so they're going to be looking at the amount of commissions determine whether they're uh, exempt from overtime. So it's, it's, a, it's going to be uh, more of a challenge for those who are on commission. I've, I've worked with a lot of commission-only people, and I guarantee you they will not fill out a time card or, no. or keep track of their hours. They are independent uh, at, at every level, and yes. It's, so let's just kind of summarize real quick, Jerry. The, the comment period ends? November 7th. November 7th. So we've got about, what, three weeks? Is that my good back of the napkin math? Three, three and a half weeks to to reach out to our elected officials. Um, I mean, if you don't know who your elected officials are in Congress, Senator Pete Ricketts, Senator Deb Fisher, uh, Congressman Adrian Smith, Congressman Mike Flood, and Congressman Don Bacon, you can go Google all those. Reach out to their offices. They all have local offices. I know that Senators Fisher and Ricketts and Congressman Flood all have offices here in Lincoln. Um, you can reach out to them. You can call their office. You can send them a letter. You can send an email. You can drop an email through their website. So I just, again, I'll go back to the pink card hearing, Mark. People were heard. And when the people show up, the people will be heard. And and it's good to understand that because I was going to, as we started this, I was thinking, well, get on the Department of Labor website and submit a comment, which I think is still important. The next step, I would say, is... Don't only just go fill out the comment card on the on the website. Get a hold of your elected officials. Definitely, because it, it it may impact uh, your future employment. But clearly, if you're an owner of a company, you're going to be um, tremendously impacted by this additional um, wage increase that you'll have to um, provide. And I might add to not just the owner of a company, but anybody in management that may have a compensation package that includes. A, uh, a an override on profit levels or on performance. Uh, this could affect uh, the overall uh, financial reality of, of the business that you're running. It definitely, definitely, because uh, if you're not at that salary threshold, they're now going to be including those bonuses uh, in determining what your hourly rate is that you're going to get overtime on. Well, and I mean, it's 20000 bucks. Is basically the increase is twenty thousand bucks. If I'm a small business owner and I have five employees that I got to bump up, that's a hundred grand. Uh, I mean, uh, for it's a hundred grand plus, yeah, a hundred grand plus. That's just in straight up salary. Sorry. So you're probably looking at a hundred and twenty five, maybe more, thousand uh, dollars. That's that's a hit to a small business. I mean, it's a big hit. It is. And I mean, you know, just the more employees you have to increase by that. I mean. Ten of them is two hundred thousand dollars, you know. I mean, plus. So it's it's a big deal, and and we really need to make sure we get this out to our people. And uh, great having Jerry Pigsley with Woods Aiken, uh, labor and employment law specialist, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, the the way you're listed on the website. But again, this is uh, our deep dive today is not intended as legal advice. I think you got the rest of that, don't you, bud? It's not a legal advice, uh, or is it intended to alert? It's intended to alert our listeners to new and developing issues to provide some common sense 
answers to complex legal questions. I would add, to, uh, Jerry is just a an employment law guru. That's my layman term for Jerry. Uh, but we do appreciate Jerry taking the time coming in with us and talking about this. Again, if you don't have someone, uh, reach out to Jerry. He's over at Woods Aiken here in Lincoln. Uh, you're over in the Cornhusker, right? Right, Cornhusker Plaza. Cornhusker Plaza. Over there, you can look him up online, give him a phone call. But this is something really important. As a business owner, it's very important that you reach out to our elected officials, and we will make sure to get this out to our members through our different channels. And, and full disclosure, uh, Jerry is legal counsel to LIBA, which is uh, the reason this uh, podcast exists. So. Jerry's job, number one job, I always say, is to keep Bud out of jail. Now, everybody else might agree, disagree with <laughs> what his number one job is, but in my mind, that's Jerry's number one job. Well, and for over four years, he's succeeded. Uh, Jerry, let's uh, let's chat just a minute. <laughs> Thanks for being here. You're welcome. Thank, Thank you, you for the opportunity. And this has been the Lincoln Business Beat from the Lincoln Independent Business Association and KLIN Radio, reviewing and updating business owners and community members about what's happening in the business community in and around Lincoln. Along with LIBA President and CEO Bud Seinhorst, I'm Mark Vail. Lincoln Business Beat is made possible by the 1890 Initiative. Visit 1890nebraska.com where 100% of your donation goes directly to Husker student-athletes.